We are in the 12th week of our series um, titled Servant King. It's a study through the book of Mark. And uh, you heard Carrie read the passage this morning. Uh, it's Mark chapter 3, beginning at verse 21. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to meet me there in Mark chapter 3, beginning at verse 21. And we're going to open up this passage of Scripture. I will say this. Um, there are very few passages of Scripture that are that are so controversial that when you see them on the teaching schedule, you have it circled. You know, it's one of those passages that you say to yourself, man, you know, if I didn't have to teach this as we are going through the Bible, I wouldn't teach it. But um, this is an incredibly controversial passage, and I have laid out before the Lord over the last few weeks about this, and I've consulted some people that I trust in Scripture, and I believe that the Lord has given us a good word and a good take on this passage of Scripture, so I'm excited about teaching it. This passage of Scripture is about loyalty. It's about loyalty to God or loyalty to Satan, one of the two. It's about choosing who you will reject and who you will receive. Our passage today deals with blasphemy. And it deals with the unpardonable sin. And I want to be clear because Jesus makes it clear in this passage. It's clear in this text that there is a sin that if committed, you cannot recover from. There is a sin that you cannot recover from. So we're going to see Jesus deal with three things in this text today. A vicious accusation. The rejection of reason. I want to say it like this. The total rejection of reason, and then we'll hear Jesus issue a grave warning. I've titled this message today, Choose. 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 A vicious accusation levied against Jesus. Have you ever been accused of something that not only was it untrue, but it seemed near diabolical or evil. I have. About four years ago, many of you who are here know that my wife and I were, were taken to court. We were, we were fighting for our lives over a lawsuit. Had we lost, it would have been a couple hundred thousand dollars out of our pocket, all over these trumped-up allegations that when it started, it seemed like maybe there was an issue here, but as it progressed, it was simply evil. It, was, it, it felt evil. Even in the courtroom, it felt evil. I know what it feels like. Hmm. In our text today, Jesus deals with a situation much like that. I'll give you some background again. His family was there, the crowd was there, it gathered. The scribes and the Pharisees, they were there. And they were there with an agenda. See, they were jealous of Jesus. They were bent on protecting their own interests. They had established their own kingdom, their own regime, and they wanted to protect it. Up to this point, they had controlled the people through religion. But now with the arrival of Jesus, the loyalty of the people begins to, to, to shift. And the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, they were losing control. They were losing their authority. 
Join me in, at verse 22, chapter 3 of Mark. It says, And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebub, and by the prince of demons he casts out demons. Now let me tell you what happened, why the scribes and the Pharisees were there. And, and this, is, this, this part is not in the text, but you find this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 22, where, where the Bible says they brought a man who was demon-possessed to Jesus. They, I believe, in my... Uh, I, I can't prove this in Scripture, but I just... This is the way the scribes and Pharisees thought. I believe that they were interested in trying to trap Jesus. We see time and again that they were trying to trap Jesus, getting him to say something that, that they could accuse him of. And so I think that they was the, the scribes and the Pharisees bringing this man to Jesus and he was, he was mute and he was blind. And Jesus healed him, healed him. And then the scripture says that the people went crazy. Could this be the son of David? Really, in the Greek text, that, that's an exclamation. It's a proclamation. This is the son of David. Has to be the son of David. Has to be. And so the scribes and the Pharisees, in fear of losing control, they levied this vicious accusation against Jesus. One that they knew, they knew, and I'll show it to you in a few minutes, they knew it wasn't true, but they were doing it to protect their own interest. Here's what they say. He is possessed with Beelzebub, the prince of demons. Now, let's talk about the word Beelzebub for a minute. During the time of Christ, the word Beelzebub actually had a double, it was a double entendre. It had two meanings. In its original meaning, it meant the prince of darkness, the ruler of darkness, the, 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 the ruler of demons. But it also had a slang meaning. It was a reference to dung. My wife's not here today, so I might be able to get away with it. Don't tell her. She says, you're always so graphic. It's a reference to dung. Crap. Doo-doo. <laughs> Got it? Yeah, so this was a reference to, to Jesus being the Lord of the flies, the Lord of the dung. And here's what they were saying. You are doing these things by the prince of the manure pile, and therefore your works aren't worth beep. <laughs> Think about it. Think about it. Think about it. Think about it. Think about what they were saying to Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, in the flesh, in human form. They were saying that he was possessed with the God of the dunghill. They couldn't have said anything more vicious to Jesus. They couldn't have accused him of anything worse. They couldn't have said anything more, more scathing against the Son of God and of the work of the Holy Spirit. Wow. 
So Jesus deals with this vicious accusation. Then the second thing we see Jesus confronting here is the rejection of reason. The rejection of reason. Verse 23. And he called them to him and said to them in parables. Who do you think the them is here? Hmm? Scribes, Pharisees, everyone. He called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first bind the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Here's what Jesus is saying. Satan doesn't fight against Satan. It would be pointless. Satan and his forces have to remain unified in order to succeed in their mission to kill, steal, and destroy. And I'd say it like this. Not only Satan, but any kingdom that wants to experience success, that success depends on one thing. Depends on unity. You cannot have a kingdom running effectively if there's not unity. Doesn't matter if, the king, if it's the kingdom of God or the kingdom of the enemy. If it's the kingdom of light or the kingdom of darkness. It doesn't matter. If a kingdom's going to run effectively, the one thing that it must have is unity. You know, there are some evil empires, some evil kingdoms that have thrived because of unity. Did you know that? I think of Hitler, thrived because he had a unified front. You know, February is Black History Month. Historians now believe that over 10 million people died in direct consequence of the transatlantic slave trade. 10 million people. Many died in transport over here. Many died of starvation or from disease. Many died being killed or murdered. Some committed suicide. There was some indirect social trauma uh, associated with the tribes that were left in Africa, the families that were broken apart in Africa. Sinister, diabolical. The slave trade was incredibly structured and it was intentional and it was detailed. And it's because of these things that the process of slavery thrived. It thrived because those who profited by it or from it were unified. Hmm. And so because they were unified, it took a unified front to crush it, to dismantle it. And so that's what I believe what Jesus is saying here in this passage. I believe it's the same principle. I believe Jesus is saying, listen, the man that I healed, he was enslaved by Satan. Satan, Satan had him enslaved to the master of sin. But I set him free. I delivered him. But make no mistake, it wasn't just me operating in my own power. I delivered him by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the authority given to me by my Father. 
The Father gave me the authority to raid Satan's kingdom, to take back what belonged to him. You hear Jesus in that? Can you just hear him? I can just hear Jesus saying, how dare you accuse me of having a demon? How dare you credit Satan for the work of the Holy Spirit? How dare you do that? You've rejected reason. So those are the first two things we see Jesus confronted. Then, this is my third and final point. We're going to spend a lot of time on this one. In all of this, Jesus issues a grave warning. Grave warning. Let's pick it up in verse 28. Truly, surely, verily, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of eternal sin. Why Jesus say that? Because they were saying that he had an unclean spirit. Hmm. Grave warning. Have you ever done something in life, anything in life, where, where you cross the line? And after you cross the line, you wish to God that you hadn't done that? But it's done, and you can't take it back? I see some of you smiling, some of you dropping your heads like, yeah, that's me. I could think of countless things as I was preparing this sermon. I had the privilege every other week, every other Monday, to go out to the prison in Palmer, to talk with the inmates there, to minister to them. There are inmates there that have been in prison for 32 years. One mistake. Being at the wrong place at the wrong time, not taking the situation into their own hands, 20 years behind bars, 18 years old is when it began. Don't think for a moment that, that in that moment, after they cross that line, they wish to God that they could go back and take it back and redo it. But they can't. This is what Jesus is saying to the, to, the, to the scribes and the Pharisees here today. He's saying, listen, man, you are about, what you're about to do is cross a line that you cannot cross back over. You're about to prematurely declare yourselves enemy against God. Enemies against God. I came to bring forgiveness and freedom and to set people free. I came to demonstrate love. But you want to keep people enslaved. You want them to remain in the system that you've created. And so to that end, you've viciously assaulted me with lies. And now you've rejected various forms of reason. And here's what I believe Jesus is doing. Obviously, I believe, man, I think Jesus was angry. I really do. But I think, I think the merciful side of the Son of God was kicking in in this moment. I believe Jesus is mercifully approaching them and telling them, you better stop right now before you cross the line. You're about to cross the line and blaspheme the Holy Spirit. So, Let's talk about that for a minute. What is blasphemy? 
And what does it mean to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? Blasphemy is speech that denigrates or defames. And so in this context that Jesus is speaking, it carries with it a feeling of, of contempt, a lack of reverence for God, and a lack of reverence for the work of the Holy Spirit. Clearly, Jesus points out in this passage that there are two types of blasphemy, that which you can be forgiven for and that that won't be forgiven. And Jesus says blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is a sin that cannot and will not be forgiven. It is the unpardonable sin. Here we go. Both the phrase blaspheme in the Holy Spirit and no forgiveness of sin are subjunctive phrases. And what that means in the Greek is, 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 is a, subjunctive, a subjunctive phrase sets the mood of the text. And so this text is written in a subjunctive mood. And what that means is that Subjunctive means that there is no conclusion because, because what's happening right now is not complete. It's, 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 you are doing something right now that if you finish doing this, the consequence will be this. But because you haven't done it yet, the outcome is still undetermined. Subjunctive. Jesus was saying, you are about to do something, and if you do this, if you cross this line, this will be the eternal consequence for you. Yeah. And so Jesus is issuing a grave warning. Watch it, man. Watch it. You're about to cross the line. It's an act of grace and mercy. And so it begs the question, I think it's a question on everybody's mind, including mine. How do I know if I've committed the unpardonable sin? I, I started to say, some of y'all in here have already done it, you just don't know it yet. <laughs> then I had to say, six, forgive me, Jesus is in the road. You know, I don't do that. I, I know, I know, including myself, there have been some people in this room right now that have cursed God, said some blasphemous things against God. I've got to tell you, man, you know, I was born and raised in the church, and there just came a time in my life where I was, my wife would say, I'm, run, I'm, I'm running this to the governor now, because she was sitting there, she'd be looking, man, don't say it, man, don't say it, that I was so angry with Jesus, so angry with God that I know I said some things. I said, man, this is the one. This is the one. If I say this to God, this one's going to get him. This is going to cause God to quit being God. He's going to get off the throne, throw down his crown, cease being God, and the devil's going to begin to reign. If I say this. So let me preface this. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. I'm tipping my hand. There is no sin that we can commit as long as there is breath in our bodies that is unpardonable. 
As long as we have breath in our bodies, no matter what sin we have committed, the cross covers that. The death, burial, and subsequent resurrection of Jesus Christ is enough to cover any sin, no matter how hideous the sin might be. He said, now that I tip my hand, now I gotta go back and work my way forward. See what you guys did to me? You just pulled that out of me today. Okay. As long as you're open to the work of the Holy Spirit, you can receive pardon for sin. I don't believe that you can com commit exactly this same sin that Jesus was talking about in this specific context. I believe that, that in this context, who Jesus was speaking to was a specific group of people in a specific period of time with a specific statement that applied to them. These were religious leaders, scribes, lawyers who knew the law. They knew who Jesus was. It was unmistakable who Jesus was. But because of their own agenda, they chose to deny him and reject him as Messiah. Well, how do you know they knew, Pastor? There's a passage in, in John chapter, chapter 3, the Gospel of John chapter 3, where this man named Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. You familiar with the passage? And Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he said, and by the way, why do you think, why do you think Nicodemus the Pharisee came to Jesus at nighttime? Undercover. Undercover boss. He's undercover, man. He didn't want to be discovered. He comes to Jesus by night. And he says to Jesus, hey, teacher, rabbi. He says, we know that you are of God. We know. Who do you think we is? Remember, he's a leader. He's a Pharisee. Who do you think he's saying, he's talking about when he says we? The Pharisees. I'm other Pharisees. I know. I'm in the back room having the secret conversation with them. We know that you are of God. Because no one could do what they do, these kinds of things, unless they be from God. I see people looking it up. Am I right? Isn't that what he said? <laughs> so, let me look this up, Pastor. <laughs> Making sure you're not teaching us erroneously. Yeah, 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 yeah. They, they, they knew who Jesus was. They saw the miracles that he had done. They knew the signs of the coming Messiah. They knew it in Scripture. They knew what it was supposed to look like. They knew. And yet they still chose to reject him. And here's why I believe that this unpardonable sin is specific to this time period. I don't, I, I, I was searching Scripture. I was searching my mind. I was running through the, the index of Scripture. And, and I believe that this could have possibly, possibly been the only time that over a short specified period of time, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit was all um, represented in that time period. Scripture says that there was a man 
named John who was sent from God, sent from God the Father, right there in that time period. Scripture tells us that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, God the Son, right there in front of them physically. Jesus is doing the work of God given to him by the authority of his Father with the power, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit being represented there. This quite possibly was the only period of time, in this short period of time, where there was no excuse because the Trinity was, rep was right there represented on earth. Show is quiet in this sanctified place. They had no excuse. That's the point. They had no excuse. And so Jesus was issuing them a warning. You have no excuse. So, because Jesus is not physically here, although we know that he's here, don't we? Don't we know that? He's not physically here like he was with them. I don't believe that that specific sin can be committed, but I will say this. I will say this. Listen to me close. Listen to me. There is a sin that we can commit today that will lead to the unpardonable sin. And we see it right here in this text. It's the sin of rejection. And we have to be careful that we don't allow our hearts to get to that point. See, the principle of rejection is warned against in many passages in the New Testament. One, and I'm just going to give, I'll give it to you, look it up later, Romans chapter 1. The entirety of Romans chapter 1 really does speak about this, but focus in on, on verses 24 through 28. Deals with rejection. Hear me when I say this. Rejection is not neutral. Rejection is not neutral. Rejection, re rejection does something to us. When we reject something, something, something goes off on the inside of us, doesn't it? It's almost like we put up a wall when we reject something. Or else why would you reject it, right? If you are rejected by something or someone, does something to you. You can't remain neutral in the face of rejection. Right? There is a sin of rejection that will lead to the unpardonable sin. Every time we reject something, it produces this growing inability to embrace that thing, even if the thing that we are rejecting is the truth. Um, you know, I normally don't put the pastor's scripture up there, but for your, for your convenience today, I did. The pastor's scripture in Hebrews chapter 3, look what he says. Take care, brothers, lest there be in you, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold the original confidence, our, our original confidence 
firm to the end, as it is said, today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts as it is, as in the rebellion. I've used this illustration before, I'll use it again. You know, I can sit here and I can knock on this thing. The day you hear my voice, don't harden your heart. And I can knock on this thing and knock on this thing. And if I continue to have a conversation with you, listen to me now, listen to me, listen. If I continue to have a conversation with you, after a while your mind automatically, subconsciously begins to, to rule this knocking out as white noise. And then as a result of it, it seems like the knock gets fainter and fainter and fainter. Still knocking, but you can't hear it. That's the reason why the scripture says, in the day that you hear my voice, don't harden your heart. Don't harden your heart. Dr. Crawford Loritz of Fellowship Bible Church outlines a path with seven steps that will lead to this type of hardness of heart and then the ultimate rejection. The first four are what he calls a passive drift. And then steps, in steps five and six are intentional rebellion and the seventh step is the consequence. Here they are. The first step is you ignore the, you ignore the message. White noise. I've heard it all before. How many of you have been in church for longer than five years? Let me see hand. Okay. See? There have been times, I won't ask you to raise your hand, there have been times where I, where I started passing scripture. I'm laughing because I've done it too. Where I started passing scripture, you're like, I've been over that passage of scripture five times already. I don't need it. You preached that last Sunday, pastor. Let me look at my iPhone. Right? So you, so you ignore the message, and some of us who have been in church for a long time, we've heard it all before. You ignore the warnings. You ignore the warnings. I went to a funeral this last week. The place was packed with people. Many of them are followers of Jesus Christ, but many of them were not. And you, listen, the Bible says it's, it's better to attend a funeral than it is a wedding because a funeral reminds us of our mortality. And I can, I can guarantee you that there were people in there that came in that room without Jesus Christ and they left without knowing Jesus Christ. They ignored the warning. They ignored the kairos moment when God was speaking. Here's the third, you ignore the guilt. You ignore the guilt. You, 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 you know that what you're doing is not right. And the Holy Spirit is, is convicting you of what you're doing. He's counseling you on what you're doing, and you ignore it. You ignore the guilt, and that knock gets fainter and fainter. You excuse your choice. This is my choice. This is my behavior. I'm not asking you to, be, to believe or behave like me. I'm asking you to embrace what I am doing. Excuse your choice. Hmm. You reject the truth. I don't need to change. 
the truth needs to change for me. You've seen it. Bending the truth to fit our own needs, rejecting the truth. It leads to ridicule of the message. And often the messenger. And that's displayed on how, as, you know, in terms of how we choose to live our lives in spite of the message. And then the results, number seven, it's a hard and unresponsive heart. Those are the steps. To hear the gospel and to choose not to respond to it develops an insensitivity to the very thing that is capable of changing our lives. Let me reemphasize something. Doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter what you're caught up in right now, doesn't matter what you're doing. As long as there is breath in your body, no matter what choice you've made, you have the opportunity to choose a different life. I want to close today with the words of Jesus. Beginning at verse 31. Mark chapter 3. And his mother and his brothers came. And Mitch, you can come to the piano if you would. Emily. His mother and brothers came, and standing outside, they sent and called him. They sent to him and called him. And the crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother? And my brothers. And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, whoever chooses to do the will of my Father, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. As I stated earlier, and I'll state it again to close. This passage, family, is about loyalty. Loyalty to God, the father of life, or loyalty to Satan, the father of lies. But you have to choose who you'll be loyal to. Will you stand with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed. No conversations except for the one that you're having with the Lord as he's talking to you right now. Every weekend I say the same thing. And I will continue to say it because it's true. I don't ever want to assume that everyone in this building is a follower of Jesus Christ. Scripture tells us in Deuteronomy, I believe somewhere around chapter 29, Behold, I set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. You choose. Choose life so that you and your family will live. If you don't know Jesus Christ, if you don't know the Father of all life, you don't have to leave this building today outside of relationship with him. Today is your day 
to choose to surrender your will to the will of Jesus and ask him to be Lord of your life. If that's you, if I'm talking to you, every eye closed, slip your hand up. I see your hand. I see your hand. I don't want to try to embarrass you. And so what I'm going to ask you to do right now, if, if you're serious about this, listen, the Bible tells us in the book of Romans that the word of the Lord is nigh you. It's even in your mouth and it's, it's in your heart. It's the word that you speak. It's the word we preach. And it's this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, all you got to do is say this. Lord, I, I want you to be Lord of my life. You are the Lord of all creation. Now I want you to be Lord of my life. And then if you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, in other words, I know you're alive. I'm not just praying to some phantom God. But you're alive, and I believe that in my heart you were raised from the dead and you're alive today. If you do those things, if you confess and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and God has raised him from the dead, Scripture says you shall be saved. So once again, just pray this prayer with me. Dear God in heaven, I'm sorry for my sins. I recognize that I am powerless to do anything about them. And so I surrender my heart to you, Lord Jesus. Take control of my life. Empower me with your power. Clean me up. Cleanse me from my sins. I give myself to you. If you prayed that prayer and you really believe it, I'm going to ask several of the elders to just come up and join me here up front, if you would. And after the service, we would love to talk with you and be the first to invite you into the family of God. For the rest of us in here who are followers of Jesus, My prayer to you, or for you today, is that, like me, you'll continue to search your heart and see where in your heart you haven't completely relinquished that area of your life to God. And if you ask the Holy Spirit to be the searchlight, to shine the light into those deep crevices that haven't quite been redeemed or haven't quite been surrendered, the Lord will show you, the Holy Spirit will show you what that looks like. And I promise you, when he reveals it to you, if you will surrender that area of your life to Jesus, your relationship with him will be richer and deeper. My prayer for you is that this week, you will allow the Holy Spirit to search those crevices of your heart.